podcast about hunting for people who don't hunt or haven't hunted or haven't hunted much. Want to learn. Or want to learn. Feel that tingling in the back of my neck. You have to be there. You have to be there. You, you, you don't know it at the time, yeah. you know, but it sticks with you all your life. And you, you, you don't experience those things unless you are a hunter. Okay, so welcome back to the new Venivores podcast, podcast about hunting for people who don't hunt or haven't hunted or want to learn want to learn how to hunt, and it's about fishing too. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I'm Tony Martinson. We've got with us, go ahead, Adam Miller, and our Turner. esteemed engineer, Ross Whitmore. Roscoe Dangerous Danger. Danger is my middle name. <laughs> Dangerous is my last name. Uh, coming at you from the heartland of America here, America's breadbasket, somewhere in a beautiful study here in, somewhere in North Dakota. I'd call it a library, honestly. I think, a man, should, I think a man should have a study. Forget a man cave, it's a study. Educate yourself. Um, and you've got one, so look at you go. So, we talked before about what our podcast is about, and why we go hunting ourselves and why we think hunting is a good idea and what we get out of it and why we like it. So um, let's talk some more about why other people go hunting. And you had some thoughts on that, Miller. So well, what do you think? You know, we had talked about this before, and and I think as Rogan mentioned, is like some people use it as um, an outlet for violence. Yeah. And that really took me back um yeah. when, when i am in my tree stand or my duck blind or what have you the last thing that i'm on or feeling is violence i'm a lot closer to serenity mm-hmm. than i am to violence so you know i you know i try to explain it but you know man is just another predator right and when i see like a coyote or a, you know a or even or on TV see a line or something taking down an animal, I don't look at that and be like, God, that's violent. I think really? I see that as, you know, that's life. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I don't, to me, violence has uh, an undertone of some sort of emotion to go with it that would either be anger, aggression. Would you call it intent? Fe- fear. Yeah, intent, you know. Intent of, like, harm or wrongdoing? Right. You would know? have to come with that. See, so I I understand when I'm pulling the trigger, I I mean to kill that mm-hmm. something, but there's no malice to it. Really. So, and okay. so to me, that is what violence would um, kind of go in. And I know that you, you know, don't see hunting that way. Absolutely not. Or fishing or and whatever. I certainly don't, but I know other apparently other folks do. Yeah. And because uh, I think I've, that's honestly a big part of the pushback problem from mm-hmm. people who don't hunt or have problems with it in, uh, in online or whatever, what have you, where you get a lot of the, a lot of the vitriol of society coming mm-hmm. at you. Stay off YouTube 
But uh, they think it's violence for violence' sake. Mm-hmm. And I didn't mean to cut you off. Sorry if you're no, no. Go ahead. But there is some research out there that shows apparently, and I haven't read extensively into this, so you know, take it for what it's worth. And if please do fact check it. But apparently that as, like, the sale of hunting licenses go up, like, crime rates, specifically violent crime, goes down. Yeah. And uh, and I guess, you know, my, my overall feeling about that is okay, I guess, sure. except it's better for someone to legally take game than it would be to illegally harm another person to right. have some sort of outlet for, yeah. you know, some sort of violent primal urge. Yeah. I'm not, uh, you know, I wish that wasn't their reason, you know. That's right, the, right. Yeah. Well, I've been, I actually brought this up to you before, too, when we were talking about discussion points that we wanted to talk about for this podcast is I think there's an inherent relationship with violence that you have to become uh take into your life a little bit if you're gonna hunt kill something and eat it and uh i think you're if i'm not mistaken correct me if i'm wrong referring to a recent podcast where rogan had that nri nra guy on and they were talking about something or another but i just listened to it actually and part of me was like yes i've been thinking about that i want to talk about that as well, and part of me was like, damn it, Rogan said it before I did, but um, whatever. He's got a great platform, and I'm glad he got it out there. So uh, I have been toying with this idea for a while because we are seeing a lot of, well, at least we're being, it's being presented to us that there's a lot of random senseless violence that's happening in our world, right, in a bad way, and you see it with, I mean, the connection to guns with hunting is one that can't be denied and you know so you have to at least pay attention a little bit to what's going on with not everybody hunts with ARs but it's not a far step away from what you do hunt with so you know you you would pay attention to a thing like that so it all rolls into one thing and I've been thinking for a while that a relationship with I, I think people that don't have a relationship with violence don't understand the gravity of what they're going to do. Like the guy who talks the loudest as a shit talker at the bar and runs his mouth the most is probably the guy who's never been punched in his mouth before, you know? And, or you get, you also get little Napoleon cowboys that just like to fight, but, (laughs) or, or the point that was made in that, that podcast was that you go to the range and Everybody at the gun range is the nicest, most polite person you've ever seen. And it's always, like, polite manners, nice. Nobody's pushing around. Nobody's trying to, you know, cut in line at the gun range because everyone there, at the end of the day, has someone something to shoot each other with if you really want to. It's a microcosm right there of a completely armed society. Right. An armed society is a polite society, and people don't really <laughs> like to hear that. Mm. And maybe it's not the best way to get to a polite society. I actually think, personally, that you should be polite to each other, just as general principle of not being a dick. <laughs> but So do I putting it? Yes. It's a means to an end, at least. And I think hunting itself, where you think that serenity... And a tree stand is very serene. I've watched mm-hmm. 
I've watched squirrels for hours in a tree stand, and it's been as good as any. Well, it drives me nuts, honestly. Yeah, so get the <laughs> hell out of here. But uh, but also, when it's a slow day, it gives you something to do, and it's, it comes back to that connectedness to nature that we discussed before. That when is anyone else going to sit? And I mean, maybe there are some people that sit in the park and watch squirrels, but walk miles into the woods or into the mountains to sit all day and watch squirrel, right? Which is, sounds ridiculous, but when you're doing it, can be pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. But that serenity is there, but I think, like, shooting something to death is violent inherently, I think, personally. And I think that if you're going to go hunting, you have to personally get past the hang-up of killing something. And I think that's where a lot of people are hung up. And it's weird, because I was driving here today, yesterday, and my dad used to do this thing where we'd be driving down the road, and every 40 minutes, he'd go, oh, you see that doe over there? Mm-hmm. And I'd go, no. And he'd go, I did it on my drive here this morning. I was driving in, and I saw a rooster in a field, and I was the only one in the car, and I pointed at it and went, rooster. And it's sitting on a shelter belt outside of a ditch, and... um People care about those things. Like, my kid gets excited about when roosters jump out of a ditch when you're driving by. It's weird because he doesn't give a shit about fish. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, he sits and watches me fillet fish, but he's got a, a buffalo that, like, to sleep with, like a stuffy buffalo. So, I'm sure he would not like to see me take apart a buffalo. <laughs> so, it's weird. But you have to get used to that relationship of you're going to kill something. And I think that's where people get hung up. But I also think that relationship with violence adds value to life because it's something where you understand what that actually means. I think if you, because that's one of the more profound things about hunting too, is when you kill something, you have to get yourself okay with shooting something to death. And that's something a lot of people will never get to in their life, but it, you reach a weird understanding with what that actually means. And it's not necessarily weird. I think it's actually one of the most natural things there is. But you reach an understanding of what it means to do that. And so I think once you understand the gravity of that, then it helps you have a relationship and a respect for that. And you're far less likely to perpetrate that in other places in your life because you actually understand what it means. And I think people who grow up with that culture understand a little better. Um, they don't have a cartoon or video game or movie aspect of a Disney filter. A Disney filter on what it means to actually do that to another living thing. And I think hunting makes that sharply in focus. Because mm-hmm. guess what? You shoot a deer, it's not just going to fall over, it's going to run around scared. It's going to, because it doesn't know what happened to it. And I mean, for a second, and you do that as humanely, humanely as you can, but even the best shots, I mean, the best, best shots, they fold and just fall mm-hmm. over. But, I mean, there's going to be, like, a standing eight count before that thing falls over in a lot of cases, and it doesn't know what happened, and it's not scared, and it's eight seconds out of a fulfilled, long life for an animal that had no idea you were there and has lived as naturally as possible. Um, but in those eight seconds it's pretty real that you just shot and killed something. 
and there's all you can feel all sorts of ways about that, but I think there's an inherent level of violence that is actually a very good thing to form a relationship with in your life. And I, I, I don't disagree with any of that. It's just I don't feel that I am a violent person. Yeah. You know, even in a certain, you know, there it's certainly an outlet for me for the stress of life. Oh yeah. But it has nothing to do with violence. And I would, I am, what many would, I am a seasoned hunter. I've yeah. probably taken close to thirty big game animals. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how many birds. I mean. You know, birds and small game. You know, yeah. we're probably pushing a thousand. And I know that sounds when you put the numbers to it like that. That may sound to some right. people as being truly, maybe even sadistic. But and I say, is that any better than how many cows are you responsible for? Yeah. How many chicken are you responsible for for buying your meat from the supermarket? Yeah, I mean, we're in our early thirties. How many right. cows have you eaten? Right. So you know, so when. That, you know, so I go from that point to serenity, you mm-hmm. know, and, and when I take an animal, um, and this is usually big game. I don't get this, you know, really hard emotional response generally out of small game. I don't know why. Yeah. You know, but like if I shoot a deer or an elk, it, there's, there's without a doubt a line. Mm-hmm. And I get to that point and I, and I take an animal, um, there's... Uh, there's a tinge of sadness, even regret. Yeah, and or at least a profound responsibility. Prof- certainly, you know, because now anything from you know that okay, I, you know, this animal's down. How do I take care of it now? So I get right, everything out. Right, How right. do I, you know, and I, I, I'm so careful about you know not you know respecting it, make sure I don't waste. You know right, what right. that animal is, what it represents. But when you when you drop it, sorry, when you drop it, is not just unabashed bliss and joy. There's no, there's I, some modicum of mm-hmm. uh, uh, reverence or mm-hmm. even somberness about it a right. little bit, right? Yeah, I'm not one of the fist pumping guys. I'm, yeah. uh, and that's okay. You know, there's. I, I'm happier that people have some sort of emotional response right. to it. You know what that be, and, and if it's theirs is immediately celebratory, that's okay. Yeah. You know I celebrate too, and there are reasons for that. And too. there's reasons for that. Yeah. You know it's it's a, you know everyone deals with you know um, you know the the tougher parts of life. Yeah. Different ways. You know some people you know if their own person the person they know passes you know they party for them you know remember the good times. That's what we do. There's other people that grieve. And yeah. either way, it's, you know, it's okay. It's how you deal with it. So for mm-hmm. me, you know, especially if um, if I see a big game animal go down, you know, I, and, you know, I don't do half hour, hour, you know, I, I can see it. I just walk up to it, you know, and if I happen mm-hmm. to catch, you know, the, you know, the last few breaths of that animal. That's um, a profound thing. That man. is, I'm an emotional mess. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, uh, you know, I got to sit down and just chill for a minute right you know and just because you know i it just taking into account of what i've done yeah and um and then the work starts you know start butchering and what have you and it's you know 
you know, I start looking and like, okay, here's my steaks, here's my roast. You know, I start mm-hmm. planning. You know, from the moment the animal's down, or even before that, I'm planning what meals I'm gonna have. What when you part- got him on the scope, you're planning what meals you're gonna <laughs> yeah. have. Yeah, what I'm going to share with people. Yeah. You know, I got a chili cook-off for work coming up on Friday, and it's going to be all wild game. I'm sharing in, nice. I'm sharing it with people that some of them don't hunt at all. And it's, uh, yeah. yeah, but I want them to know, you know, why I do it. Yeah. So it's, uh, it is a tough thing, and I honestly, I don't want that to ever end. I don't want to right. forget that, you know, I am taking a life. Right. Um. And I understand how some people may feel that it's an outlet for violence or they feel that it's violent. Um, mm-hmm. I just I just never have. Yeah, and I under completely understand. It comes down to how we define the word violent, mm-hmm. right? Whether there's malice of forethought or not, um, if you will. But uh, And I think, too, that that's where the relationship to that act mm-hmm. comes in and... I think, again, enriches life mm-hmm. because you are intimately familiar with what that means. Right. Intimately familiar. And I think maybe folks that... There are a lot of people that live... Uh, I don't want to say easy, mm-hmm. <laughs> but they live lives of get up and go to work and do your job and come home and watch a show and have dinner with your kids and... Maybe check some emails and go to bed and get up the next day and do the same. And then go to run some errands on the weekend and go to the park or meet some friends and week in and week out. And I'm not saying I don't do that and I'm not getting down on people that do do that. Mm -hmm. But I think there are population centers where there's no relationship to what you're talking about Mm -hmm. when it comes to the day in and day out of life. And I think to at least have points in that in your life where you build relationships towards those things that are outstanding in that way especially things that are maybe a little unpleasant Mm -hmm. then you have a relationship with that that makes other things come into focus like when you're at the park with your kid if some dude's being a jerk and hogging the swing maybe you don't go throw your finger in his face because it contributes to an overall level of calmness and perspective in life when you watch something die and took it apart mm-hmm. the weekend before. Right. And I think fighting probably does the same thing. Oh, right? I, People I'm who sure train fighting. Does. Nicest right. folks ever. If they're not caged animal psychos. But like, they're not those too. Right. I've met a couple of those, but the, it's probably because they haven't got their ass kicked in the gym enough, right? Right. Um, so I think... It's, that's what I mean by the relationship with violence is it takes a certain reverence in your life to do that. Certainly. And it's, you know, that's the biggest, and I'll see it online all the time because I actively seek it out is, you know, the anti hunter will say, you know, why, you know, if you claim you love this so much, how can you kill it? Right. And it's, um, and there is a personal relationship to the individual animal at that level yeah. when I take one. But I'm able to also divorce myself from the idea of an individual to a species level. Right. And they they seem to have a really hard time with that. I, mm-hmm. because I take the you know, animal and I, I 
am establishing a far more importance to it because yeah. that's my next meal. Right. I have a more vested interest. It's you ultimately know, important. Right. You, you know, a person that, you know, doesn't want to hunt, hates hunters, um, you know, and... Just say vegans. Yeah, well, so <laughs> there's vegans that probably aren't so much that, you know, the militant anti-hunting vegan. I don't you know, think they exist in the wild. Perhaps. I don't know. Maybe we need a study. Um, that... Only be, in captivity. <laughs> in, <laughs> you're, we'll call you're, captivity big cities. Yeah, you're, you're, <laughs> you're, you're messing with my train of thought here. Sorry. So anyway, that they can't divorce themselves from the individually... Uh, or individually of that animal, that critter, yeah. and um, like I said, I I'm attaching an importance to the species. Right. That's why, you know, where they're donating money to fight hunting. Right. You know, I'm donating money to improve habitat, to improve right, right, conservation. Right, right, right. I'm, you know, doing things that benefit the species as a whole. You guys are donating money for essentially the same thing yeah. and then you're, arguing online about it. Yeah, you're donating money to fight me. Yeah. You know, so... But if they got out of your way and let mm-hmm. you do what you did mm-hmm. with a well-regulated state wildlife mm-hmm. and natural resources agency mm-hmm. with legally procured tags mm-hmm. and following all your regulations, mm-hmm. what they want to happen would actually be much more well-funded <laughs> and actually use, like, state sponsored Mm -hmm. scientists to do what they're trying to do which is help these animals flourish yeah and the funny part is is if they got what they wanted and hunting were to be outright banned today along with all guns yeah tomorrow i would be doing the exact same thing i do now Mm -hmm. except now i would be on the illegal side of it and my my morality is illegal tomorrow you would poach absolutely Oh, interesting. Okay, cool. Do you want to lean into the mic? (laughs) If... (laughs) I think you guys are misunderstanding what I mean. No, I know. It's that I... You know, because I invested in this, that this is what I do. No, not just because of a trophy. It's because it's... I'm... I'm giving and I am taking, and that is nature. For you, the so morality if, surrounding yeah, it is some, stronger than... Yeah, if some absurd law were to be that, like, we're just going to make hunting illegal outright, you know, and you just, you can't do that, you can't, you know, go into the field and take, you know, what you need. Yeah, I would not change a thing I would do, except now I'd be outside the law, if that makes... And I understand that, like, oh, you're just a poacher then. I'm like, well, if you force me to be... You know, if you were making ill, um, you know, criminals out of normally law-abiding citizens, mm. you know, you know, you can get into a philosophical approach of this of civil disobedience that yeah. I don't agree with the law. I wasn't consulted when it was made. I'm not going to comply. Well, let me ask you this then: mm-hmm. How is that different than a guy who's living in the bush in Africa poaching? one of their large game animals to feed his village. It gets very difficult, doesn't it? It does. Because that person's person's reality is, yeah, where I'm at compared to where he's at, you know, we're using the same reasoning, but it's an entirely different thing. Yeah, I am... It's a different structure that you're living in. Completely different structure. Yeah, I am, you know, he's living on pennies a day, dollars a day, whatever. Maybe. And he may have... no choice whatsoever 
You know? Yeah. And and, I mean, that's <laughs> subsistence poaching is definitely a thing that happens. Right. And, yeah, that's... And so we try to apply armor and western morality to this of, you know, that... Oh, you shouldn't do that because I like, you know, I like the elephants. I like the rhinoceros. I'm never going to see one. You know, they live on a different continent. I love David Attenborough documentaries. Right. And so do I. Yeah. But it, it becomes really difficult to, to tell a person that. So. Yeah. Well, and trying to push Western morality onto that entire situation. You had a conversation at a Backcountry Hunters and Anglers meetup. Mm-hmm. So, talk about that a little bit. Well, we were discussing, you know, like, the concept of trophy hunting and... Which we touched on on a previous podcast. Right, you know, how some people would be, you know, even regular hunters, you know, they have a big problem with, um, you know, or Western hunters in the United States specifically saying that they are not going to go to, or they don't like the idea of going to Africa to trophy hunt. Let me jump in here for a second. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, you do kind of see there's a Mm -hmm. bit of a... Uh, like American hunter ethos or ego maybe even mm-hmm. about the North American model of conservation and what we do here and you know how that is the best way to do it and you know bow hunters there's factions of bow hunters that think gun hunting is somehow less noble or pure mm-hmm. and there are large... even amongst bow hunters right <laughs> yeah yeah and there... traditional versus like, yeah you know, trad bows are more modern, pure yeah, yeah you're that's more pure somehow than going to Africa and taking a trophy. Um, so there is a bit of a, and then you see a large faction of American hunters that are like, well, I would never go to Africa and just go trophy hunting, Mm -hmm. which is what you were talking about. Right. Right. So then I would get into it. So do you go out of state or do you ever want to go to hunt in Alaska? Oh yeah. I'd love to go to Alaska. That'd be awesome. Like, so how is it any different? Yeah. For the, for, in just the general concept, if you are someone from wherever, well, let's, let's take middle me for America example. somewhere. Yeah, I live in Minnesota. Minnesota, and you say I want to go to Alaska to hunt. For and all I want to intense... take a Kodiak. Yeah, I don't know if you can even take a Kodiak, but you can. You got to get drunk. I want to take a Kodiak. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, for all intensive purposes, Alaska is an entirely different country to you. Right. <laughs> thousands of miles. thousands of miles away hugely vast yeah and if we're talking about practicality of hunting of going out and getting clean protein calories you know and you're doing it because you you, you want to consume meat or you know animals that you've taken with all or, the other attachments that or, we've yeah put on every, the every other side. attachment put it so you're hopping on a plane you're fl- flying three thousand miles away to hunt a species that you're probably only going to do once and you're going to try to find the biggest animal you can find. Right. And, and animals in Alaska are <laughs> probably equally exotic to me as animals in Africa. Right. Like, that's a monster. Right. If I had no knowledge that that existed mm-hmm. and I went up there, that's a real-world monster that's trying mm-hmm. to eat me. Right. And it's no different or more exotic than something with a neck that's three times the length of his body or has black and white stripes. Right. Right. A, a caribou's headgear itself is crazier than a lot of things you'll find in Africa. Right. You know. So yeah. So I'm getting, is that is that any different? No, I don't think it is. It really it, it's not when you when you break it down right. to its simplest components. You know. Right. You know, believe it or not, in certain parts there's actually a lot of elephants in Africa. Zebra. Yeah, there is 
Yeah, for the Plains game, you know, your different antelopes and zebra, you know, mm-hmm. there's many thousands of them. Right. You know, they're not in danger whatsoever. Like some caribou herds are 50,000, 100,000 strong in years. Yeah. And, you know, it's no different than wildebeest of Africa. Or Cape but, Buffalo or yeah, whatever. So if, if that trophy hunting is not okay, why is, even as a North Dakota resident, me to go to Montana? That's not out my back door. It's not no. practical to go there. And so. you could even say, I live in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Iowa is the land of monster whitetails, mm-hmm. right? It's hard to go hunt there. Why is <coughs> that... Like, I could easily do a... Dest- it's one state away. Mm-hmm. And I could easily, like, do a destination once-in-a-lifetime mm-hmm. Iowa monster hunt. How is that any different? Right. So, and it, so to bring this back to where I, you know, said that if the laws were to change tomorrow, I wouldn't change a thing about my practices. You know, I am saying... I'm trying to say that hunting is okay. It's a natural thing. And it's okay to want to go somewhere else to experience it you know i'm still gonna bring back i, I see you give me a funny well, point, I'm, not, like, I'm not so sure you're not on slippery ground there but i, I, might I follow where you're going with it okay so let's do with um <gasps> no, for no, instance like I net, your, yeah, I like net neutrality or something like right. that that people are like well i'm not going to comply with this. i'm going to the dark web man i'm going yeah because this is ridiculous right to me i don't draw a, a distinction between that you, right. They may, if they were happening, it would make a ridiculous, immoral, unpractical law, yeah. and th- that would not be okay in my yeah. eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I don't think for, see that ever happening. Yeah. And you know, and they, I'm saying it would be in totality. Like if they're mm. saying, you know what, you know, right now, you know, I comply with all the laws for like there is wolves in North Dakota. There's not very many of them. It's right. illegal to hunt them. I don't hunt them, obviously. Right. You know, because, you know... It's illegal. It's illegal, which, and it's more also morally wrong. Which leads right. me to another mm-hmm. point that mm-hmm. that's great, but mm-hmm. I understand that too, but mm-hmm. it's also, I think, of the most paramount importance, mm-hmm. and we've discussed it before too, mm-hmm. to put that same level of trust in your state wildlife and natural resource management agency right. and follow the regulations that they give, mm-hmm. because if you believe that... Uh, ethical and correct and uh, uh, even outside of the bounds of the letter of the law that it's mm-hmm. a truly good and ethical thing to do then to take that further it's paramount importance to do it within the bounds of the law when those laws exist. Well, yeah, right. when they exist and when they are science based mm-hmm. and are just. So if, tom- uh, if this fall mm-hmm. they said this winter lasted way too long. We got some nasty blizzards. We had awful spring die-off of our migratory waterfowl. Mm-hmm. No migratory waterfowl mm-hmm. hunting season. Would that be morally wrong? Would you still hunt waterfowl? Oh, no. There I would definitely comply because there okay. is there would be a sound science-based reason for it. Right. If it is a moral... But if somebody said, mm-hmm. like in Minnesota, mm-hmm. there's a huge controversy against the wolf hunts in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. But if they said, oh, never mind, we aren't going to do this just because people stomped their feet and sh- mm-hmm. shook their fists loud enough. We have plenty of wolves. We're just not going to do it, like, say, for bear hunts in certain we're, states. We're getting into that right very moment with grizzly bears. Right. Right. So do you think you would go shoot a grizzly bear right now? 
in a state where it's illegal? But not where it's illegal. No, for my practices that I do right now, Mm -hmm. and that includes taking common game animals, white-tailed deer, uh, mule deer, what have you, Mm -hmm. common game animals. Yeah. That you know, people are gonna eventually get to that point. You know, where they're gonna try and take those away, Mm -hmm. then yeah, nothing would change. Okay. So, but so that's things I've always done. So it's out of season. Yeah. I saw herds of deer in a stubble field. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of deer around here. Right. Is it okay to pull over and shoot one of those right now? No. And that's not something I've ever done. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I'm just trying to tease out the difference. And I understand, so, I'm taking your point. I'm just... And I know. And then maybe I'm not nature. explaining this well and I'm probably going to receive tons of hate mail. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's... I would say that is, you know, exactly what I said. Civil disobedience. Sure. Fair so, enough. Well, and it's a complex issue. It is extremely complex, and I'm probably doing a very bad job well, of explaining no, it. No, I take your point, and I understand, because mm-hmm. I'm trying to be charitable and mm-hmm. uh, gracious and in good faith, listen to what you have to say and build it up. But, you know, I'm just trying to tease out your meaning a little <laughs> bit here, too. Um, but it's a complex issue, along with... It's all complex. Like oh, absolutely. The, the, like you say, you make your shot. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I noticed... Because I took my first deer this last fall at 31 years old. And one thing I noticed, I went to the range a bunch, all that stuff. One thing I noticed is you take a shot, it goes boom. You have no idea what happened. No. You have no idea what happened. <laughs> like, if you do your, like, fundamentally, it's not like you, it's not like it's squirting blood out of a hole in the side of it. Not usually. Not usually. And uh, at least mine wasn't. And yeah, there's a loud boom, but you don't know, like, did I miss it entirely? Mm-hmm. Did it, is it scared because of the boom, right? And you have faith. And we'll talk about this in another thing, but I found that shocking. So in that whatever, three to eight, sometimes more seconds, depending on your shot placement, there's a lot of complex stuff going on mm-hmm. right there. And then walking up on it, if it falls quick and watching the life go out of it, mm-hmm. there's a lot of complex stuff happening there. And it's all complex. And I've also been thinking a lot about, it might be the perfect metaphor for life, to be honest. And I can't help but feel like I'm pretty soft sitting in a tree stand waiting for a deer to just happen to wander by <laughs> and shoot it. But it's, it's like the baseball metaphor for life in that there's a lot of effort and a lot of work up front and a lot of personal investment that goes into a long, long stretches of idle nothingness where you can sit and just, if you're not paying attention, you can have that those moments of idle nothingness be wasted on you and get nothing out of it. But if you are paying attention, they can be some of the most profound moments you have in your life. You'll start naming the squirrels. You'll, you'll start naming <laughs> the squirrels. You'll make... I'm such a hippie, but you'll make... Yeah, I'm not even going to say that. You'll make friends, we'll say. Um, But, I mean, right? It's It can be some of the most... The best experiences of your life, at least your inner life, if you're paying attention. And those long moments, even Western style, sitting on a a glass and knob, Mm -hmm. scanning the hillside all day. Mm -hmm. There can be days where you just glass all day right. and that's all you do mm-hmm. and maybe you take a little nap and you're uncomfortable because oh. you're sitting still 
and all that stuff. And it's long moments of boring nothingness that you can perceive that way if you let yourself or you can be connected to it and really get a lot out of it. And those are just when you least expect it, just when you're least ready for it in a lot of cases, are punctuated by some of the most intense moments of action that there are that come with complex feelings and lots of effort. And then you take that and use that to, as a tool in your life, once you, sometimes, sometimes that complex action is fruitless. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that complex action pays dividends for weeks and months afterwards. Oh, but exactly. the experience itself will always pay dividends. Well, if you and are, in that way, I think it might be the perfect metaphor for life. If you are a person that needs instant gratification, hunting is not for you. <laughs> yeah. It's it's that simple. It there There's a dedication to it. And there's the metaphor again. Yeah. If you want anything out of it, mm-hmm. hunting as with life, you have mm-hmm. to be willing to put your time in and dedication to learning your craft and getting good uh, 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 practice and methods and information to do it correctly. Mm-hmm. And even if you don't, you might stumble upon something and <laughs> have some pure dumb luck that is fruitful. Right. Just like well, life. Oh, well, certainly. <laughs> Honestly, man, I think it's a perfect metaphor for life. I really do. Hunting and baseball. Those are the two perfect metaphors for life. Both of which you're a big fan of. I am. I'm, I'm actually a little upset today because I felt that the Twins got robbed on a really bad call in the 10th inning last night. <laughs> so, I haven't been following, but go Twins. Yeah, it's that was... Yeah. I'm going to need an explanation on why he wasn't out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> I got nothing, man. I can't help you. But uh, I won't get into it here because that's off topic. But We'll do another podcast about baseball. <laughs> and then we'll do another one about music. So... Yeah, man. I just wanted to. I'll. I'm sure I'll come back to that again. Right. Being a metaphor for life and the violence aspect too, mm-hmm. a metaphor for life. And here's another thing I've been sort of teasing in my mind. Um, there's a lot of. There's a lot of people stretching for virtue and people mm-hmm. uh, virtue signal online and stuff. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about stretching for virtue in the way of self-improvement and self-help and there's a huge industry around that right Mm -hmm. uh like i try to keep a mindfulness practice in my life uh yoga is huge which i think is an actual game changer i've been doing that lately and it's really awesome but you know there's a lot of this like uh self-help stuff that goes on out there and uh uh i'm not so sure that always trying to be happy and serene and uh, calm and gracious. Well, you should always try and be gracious, but I'm not so sure that those uh, more esoteric uh, singing bowl, crystal healing type virtues are things that should necessarily be strived for all the time. Because I think that comes at the detriment of things that are part of the human experience, like rage and pain mm-hmm. and uh, uh, regret and sorrow. And I think always trying to avoid those things may uh, deny certain essential parts of the human experience. And one of those things is violence. 
And I think that eight seconds where you don't know if you made a good shot, you're going, did it land? I know I had it on the vitals. Did I pull my shot? Was I breathing too much? Did I just hurt this thing? You're worried about the ethics of your shot. You're worried about if you missed it entirely. In that moment, you feel all those things. Mm-hmm. You feel all those things. The joy and the serenity and the excitement and the pain and the right. violence and right. the sorrow. Yeah. You And maybe some regret. Certainly. If you pulled a bad shot or something. So you feel all those things. And I think that relationship with violence is part of an essential part of what is possibly the human experience that we try to deny ourselves a lot. And especially we're late eighties, early nineties kids, the helicopter parents participation trophy parents of the nineties, we are products of, and I'm not so sure that that's the best way to go about things. And again, as a microcosm and metaphor for life, I think those moments are what help us become more familiar with honestly hunting as huge part shows the whole of human experience in a lot of ways. Hmm. So that'll be my closing thought. Well, that was thorough. (laughs) Yeah. So, and, uh, I guess my closing is, you know, on anything, I think every person, especially in America, that to kind of hammer home what I said about if the law were to change today, what would happen tomorrow, we see this all the time of a level of injustice that people see and people engage in civil disobedience. All the time. So... You really need to be introspective if you're going to say, well, that's ridiculous, you know, to me. Because let's say one that happened very recently here with the DAPL protests. You know, there was thousands of people openly breaking a law that they felt was injustice. Right, and it got a lot of steam behind it, for better or worse. Right, and it doesn't matter which side I am on that, but... People reached a point where, you know, they had a civil disobedience because they felt something was unjust. People do it every day with drug consumption. Every single day. Every single day. And are actually gaining traction on that in a lot of ways. Right. So, don't be too harsh on me, I guess. (laughs) You know, it's because you need to be introspective on what would something have to be taken away from you for you to engage in the same thing. So, I guess I'll leave it at that. Mr. Danger? Concluding thoughts? All sounds good to me. New Venivores, a podcast about hunting for people who don't hunt, or haven't hunted, or haven't hunted much. Want to learn. Or want to learn, and it's about fishing too. That's what our... We're going to have to smooth that. <laughs> that's, what we're, that's what we're trying to get across here, but uh, information for people that are new, so... In the spirit of that, the best thing you can do is educate yourself. And we're a couple of working guys that have square jobs. I wouldn't say working class, but working guys that have square jobs out there doing it ourselves or trying to. And you can do the same. There are many, many resources at your fingertips for new hunter programs and getting started programs. Mm -hmm. So uh, one thing a lot of people 
are focusing on is new hunter engagement, which is what we're all about. That's our whole point here. So if this is something you're interested in, we can only help you so much and you got to help yourself. So call your state wildlife management agency. They all have new hunter programs. I'm sure they work federally with new hunter programs. They're get involved. There's backcountry hunters and anglers. That's one of my favorites. There's the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. There's Pheasants Forever. There's Ducks Unlimited. There's the Wild Turkey Federation. There's uh, Whitetail Management Associations down to the county level in some places. So do your research. Find something that you can at least get started in. A lot of those are specific to game species, and that's fine. Just get started somewhere. Reach out. Get yourself involved. Educate. Participate. Sharpen your teeth. And dig deep. cubicles and little flaming piles and we were running